Well, aren't you excited about what God is doing? Amen. Isn't God faithful? Yes. He's been so good to us. Uh, we have different age groups represented as I look back here uh, at your faces. And uh, there's a preparation that we all make for the future. There are two ways you can go into life. You can go into it, just get up in the morning and whatever happens, happens. And uh, or you can plan. You can have a little strategy to life. I love spontaneity. That's why God put Teresa in my life, I guess. So I would have to be spontaneous. And uh, she's very spontaneous. I'm a planner. And that's what we did uh, in our church. When I transitioned our church to the next generation, I was only 58. So uh, I want to start there and just say that and I had a 10-year plan to transition to the next generation and started when I was 50. I implemented the plan, worked with our leaders, and we knew who we had in mind to take the church. And so I started mentoring uh, Robbie. And uh, uh, the plan, uh, he, he moved so fast. The 10-year plan, he was, five years, he was already, he'd fulfilled every goal. <laughs> Uh, it's like, you know, young people, when you put a carrot in front of them and say, do this and you can have this, well, <laughs> just, you know, get out of the way because uh, uh, he, he got it all done. And there were academic, uh, financial, uh, uh, character things uh, that I wanted him to accomplish. He had to have his master's degree in uh, pastoral ministry. And uh, all of, so I had high goals, you know, in front of him. And he did it all, and uh, probably half the time. But I wasn't ready to let him take the reins. And uh, so uh, there's a timing to it. So I was uh, 58. I did it eight, uh, a year and a half soon, sooner than I had planned. I was going to put it together at 50, 10 years, I'll be 60. Uh, I'll have pastored 30 years, and uh, all nice, even round numbers. You know, we'll have a big party and celebration. But as it turned out, uh, the Lord spoke to my heart in prayer uh, that now's the time. And so I was praying and asking God about it and arguing with him about it. Uh, This was hard enough when you asked me to do it. I said I would do it. But, you know, uh, I love pastoring. I love pastoring this church. I don't want to do anything else. And uh, so I was weeping in the altar in June of the year, October was when we made the transition. In June, I'm in the altar just crying and asking God, why is he doing it to me? He's letting other pastors pastor longer. And, and uh, I just didn't understand. And, you know, and so he spoke to my, to my heart and, and spirit real clearly and just said, well, you can keep pastoring, son. Before I could get the words I can out, he asked me, how much of Robbie's time do you want? And so I said, that's not even fair. <laughs> how many of you know God's not? He just, you know, he just kind of. So it wasn't really about me or my age. It was about God's plans for his life. And I found that everything in the kingdom models after Jesus. We do what we do for others. And if you have that mindset that we're doing what we're doing uh, for uh, others, for the next generation, for our grandchildren, 
and we're moving forward in God, then it's easier to release things and trust God with the future. And so uh, I told him, well, I won't talk to you about this anymore then. About a month later, I was praying, and uh, God uh, began to speak to me, and I, I put together a message from this conversation with the Lord. I call it, Life is Like My Bible. <laughs> but I'm talking to the Lord and said, uh, you know, complaining again. I just, you know, I don't understand. Uh, Jensen Franklin is older than me, and you're letting him pastor. Brian Houston's older than me, and you, he's still pastoring. I just don't, you know, uh, understand. And uh, God asked me very clearly, uh, not audible voices. I don't want you to misunderstand me. I, I, would, I believe in that. It's just I haven't heard an audible voice in my experience with the Lord. But he you know, in your heart, you know it's because it comes, you, you weren't thinking about that, and then bam, it's there, and you know it's the Lord talking to you. And that's been my walk with God in my prayer time in the mornings. So that same voice that told me to start the church is the one that told me to transition. So uh, you've got to hear God first. And so I'm praying, and the Lord, uh, I said, why not throughout these other couple, a few other pastors that were young, older than me pastoring still, and he said uh, to me, he said, what are the days of a man? And I said, well, three score and ten, seventy. By reason of strength, the psalmist said uh, eighty. And uh, he said, uh, what, what are the days, uh, how many days are there then in a, a week? I said, well, there's um, seven. And then to my heart, he said, think of your life as days. And... Uh, so each decade, like a day, I realized, well, the days of a man are like three score and ten or seventy. That's a week, every day, a decade. And he just spoke to my heart real gently and said, you've given me six days, you know. What if I want to give you a day with Teresa? And I thought, man, yeah, I'd like that. Are you saying I'm dying at 70? <laughs> you know, <laughs> so... I'd like to live to, you know, to a hundred, but, uh, uh, but I, I felt like God was speaking to me that it would be okay, that, uh, you know, and I, I felt like there would be something wrong, and uh, I, don't, I don't necessarily, uh, I read a book Billy Graham wrote about uh, aging with grace, and he talked about the principle of uh, uh, how he did it. And he talked about, you know, it's not necessary that you retire and see it as retirement, although retirement is good. Uh, everybody in your church from their field or career, they retire. But preachers, we would, we always had the saying, you don't retire, you refire. Yeah. And, uh, and because the gifts and callings of God are still in your life. And so I realized, well, God must have something for me beyond pastoring. And maybe it's another pastorate. Maybe God has, I received a prophetic word last night that God was going to bring us before great men, leaders and senators and give us influence in that area from Pastor Tucker. And what a promise that is. And so I'm not done by any means. But God began to speak to my, to my heart about uh, the possibility of understanding a day of rest, realizing that it's okay to take some time. You know, my father was 74 when he passed, which I consider young. Uh, I think it's young. Teresa's mother was 52 when she passed away, uh, very young. And to have time with each other. You know, you devote your life to raising your kids and to grandkids and stuff. But then to think, I still have Teresa. I still have time with her. So 
in our busy schedule, and we're very busy, uh, we, we plan uh, extra time, time away, time with each other, because uh, I want to value the time that I have with her. I think she's awesome. And so the Lord spoke to me uh, then and asked me, how many books are in the Bible? I said, 66. Well, that's almost 70. That's almost like seven days in the week, in the year. And uh, there's an Old and New Testament all through it. It's filled with weddings, funerals, all the things I did yeah. as a pastor, you know. It's filled with people that are born, that are die, generations coming, generations going, changes that are made. And all of a sudden it dawned on me, my life's been like my Bible, you know. Uh, there's joy packed in it. There's failure packed in it. There's mistakes. There's good and bad, mountains and valleys that... My life uh, is much like my Bible, but it's the best is yet to come. The Bible ends with the promise that even so come Lord Jesus. How many of you believe the best is yet to come? So in all that God does, it just gets better and better. And I feel like Teresa and I are in, in a party season of our life. <laughs> and we're just loving life, loving each other and honestly closer than we've ever been. Yeah, I thank God for that. And so when you look forward or you think about it, don't think, don't look at the generations that are coming with sadness. Begin to think about the possibility of working together in it. We have shared values, as Pastor said. We have things in common. But it's important that we walk, generationally speaking, in agreement. So I want to talk to you about generational agreement this morning. If you'll look with me in Amos 3, verse 3. Can two walk together except they be agreed? We all know this passage of Scripture. Think about the two as generations. Can two generations walk together except they be agreed? Can a husband and wife walk together except they be agreed? Can a pastor and elders walk together except they be agreed? Father, we ask your blessing upon this teaching time. We ask that it speaks to hearts and causes us, Lord, to just enjoy the presence of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. Move in our lives, we ask in Jesus' name. And everyone say amen. 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 The greatest blessing, I think, of springtime, which you're, we're ahead of you down in Tennessee. Everything's as green as can be. We've been mowing since uh, the first Sunday of, or first Monday of March. We, were, we started mowing. And uh, I mean, it's just been so uh, we don't know. We don't understand what your, your pain. We don't, <laughs> we don't realize what you go through up here. <laughs> but we don't, do we? <laughs> but at the same time, uh, as I'm here, it reminds me of spring because uh, you've got some green in some of your, your trees now. The grass is so green. I'm real envious of your topsoil. Here, because we have red clay down there, and that's just, I just, I, Teresa, every, on the way, she's like, when are you going to talk, stop talking about topsoil? I'm just looking around, like, look at all the beautiful black topsoil. <laughs> but I think one of the things I love the best about spring is the Easter celebration, resurrection, and because one of Christ, the purpose of his resurrection was the promise of unity. He uh, died and was buried, rose from the dead so that we could be one. Tear down the wall of partition between. He did that through the cross. Yeah. How many of you are glad that it's been done? Yeah. So we have unity. It's, it's been paid for. Yeah. 
God, Jesus has given his people unity. And, uh, and that's probably, you know, one of his final prayers in John 17, 21, he said, he prayed that they may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in thee, and that they may be one in us, that the world may believe that you have sent me. There's something about our unity that causes the world to believe. If we'll walk in unity, in other words, between generations, it brings revival into the church. When you're passing the baton, the outside world gets excited about the future. When you start thinking about the next generation and you start thinking that way as you prepare and lead, and lead, suddenly it brings an excitement. In our text, the prophet Amos reveals to us that powerful truth. We have to be in agreement in order to walk together. And here at Bible Center Church, you've been blessed with unity. You've had it for a long, long time. God has been faithful to you. Can we give God praise for the unity He's given this, this church? And you're in a real good season. Uh, a lot of young couples in the church and, and babies and children. It's, isn't that exciting? I mean, there's so much exciting. I, I, I like babies because it's like that new life, you know. And uh, I get excited about it. I wish my, my daughter-in-laws and my daughter would consider having a dozen more. But they have told me, stop it, Dad. With ten grandchildren's enough. I'm like, no, it's not. There's never enough grandchildren. So uh, there's life in that. And I'm, we're truly greater together. You know, when there's unity, we are greater together. And generationally speaking, we're greater when there's new babies being born, when generations are working together and they're walking in common purpose. We're just greater together. Uh, turn to someone beside you and say, we're better together. And it's one of the common, it's one of the common ingredients in every long-term relationship, unity. It doesn't matter whether it's marriage or family or business or even the church. Uh, according to Ephesians 4.16, every joint supplies. And so I want to thank you, Pastor, for uh, making us feel part of the plan and purpose here in this church. Thank you for your leadership, and, and I'm so humbled to share it. Thank you for trusting me to do this. This is huge. And so I want to talk a little bit about it. There's two principles I want to give you real quickly before we jump into the main part of the message. That is, when we agree together, we can accomplish great things. In Genesis 11 and verse 6, the Lord recognized that uh, the people were building a tower to heaven. You remember the Tower of Babel. And he said, There's, in such unity, nothing's impossible to them. They could do anything they set their mind to because they're in agreement. So we can say that even God recognized that he put that potential in us. If we could get on the same page, right. we could really do some good stuff. So when we agree together, we accomplish great things. The second principle is that when we agree together with God, we can accomplish impossible things. In Matthew 18 and 19, we're told that any two, when any two agree, that anything can be done that we ask of our Father in heaven. Do you realize that He's the God of the impossible? And so I'm convinced that if, if we just agree and we walk in unity generationally, between generations, we can accomplish some great things. So when it comes to transition or succession, <coughs> it's not about, it's not about a, well, I'm going to fade out of the way. I'm going to let the young folks have it. You know, and I'm just going to... Uh, Wander off in the field somewhere, you know. It's not like that at all. It's uh, we're, we're to continue to work together. 
it's, it's a releasing of responsibilities to the next generation, but it's an active involvement in what they're doing. And I'll show you that here real, uh, real quickly. But knowing that greatness and impossibilities can be accomplished through agreement, why do you suppose it's so hard to maintain unity? I think probably part of the reason is between generations, you know, they used to have a term called the generation gap when I was a teenager coming up. We were, we were the hippies and, uh, in my generation. And in those hippie days, uh, I, I, matter of fact, I wasn't even allowed to come in some churches because my hair was long. They uh, literally, I have, had to stay out on the church bus with the youth group because they didn't want me, the deacons of the church we were visiting didn't want me in there infecting the rest of the congregation. So I stayed on the bus, and but I was born again. They had no idea that one day I would pastor the largest church in the region <laughs> that I was actually saved. So that's the guy they made stay on the bus, you know, because he would infect us. But uh, So I think sometimes we can be afraid of each other generationally, and we can be afraid of change and uh, afraid of what this means, you know, because when young people, when the next generation comes along, it doesn't matter who it is, they've got new ideas, they've got things they want to do, the music style changes a little bit, <laughs> you know, that's just like, you know, that's just, this is crazy, but I don't know about the rest of you, but I'm a, I'm a 70s man. And I just think that the best music ever put together was in the 70s. I'm sorry, it, you know, you might be, you might just missed it, but I'm talking about Creedence Clearwater Revival. I'm talking about the Rambos. Back, I'm t that was, man, that was when music was music, you know. And some of the groups today, I don't even know what they're, how to sound, say their names, and, and I don't understand what they're saying, and. And, uh, but I realized that I wanted to be a part of the next generation. I didn't want to be left out. I wanted to work together in unity. I wanted to continue in what God had. And so that's where some of the adjustments uh, have to be made. And on both, uh, both generations, you know, uh, upcoming generations as well as the older generation, we've got we've to work together. And that's where our hearts should be. Our hearts should be to be together. Uh, that's why when, when we, in our church, when we went to multiple services, it was because of growth, not because we had a traditional worship service and a contemporary worship service. We didn't split, go to two services just to, for that. No, we went to two services, kept the worship the same, and just decided we're going to do what uh, our elders, our leadership decided we're going to do what's going to reach our kids and we're going to make a difference and we're going in with them. And, and so the exciting thing about that is uh, they, couldn't, they were overwhelmed with our heart for them and passion for them. And so we stayed together. I like it. I didn't want grandparents coming to the traditional service and the parents and their children coming to the contemporary service. I didn't want families separated. I liked seeing them all sitting on the same row families together in the house of God. No, I wasn't going to create a service to split them up. So I said, hey, we've got to be more mature than this. We've got to be able to say, look, whatever i got to do to sit with my grandkids, if I have to wear earplugs, I'm going to sit with my grandkids in church. Right? Instead of like, i got to have it my way or else, I, you know, I'll just do my own service. And me and my 70s buds will hang out, you know. 
you know, at least praise God. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> Glory to Jesus. Amen. So I, I discovered this then, that it's hard because sometimes we, we fail to maintain it because we only listen to the words. We fail to listen to the heart. So when you work together generationally, you're hearing each other's heart. And you're, uh, and by the way, can I tell you that that means we hear not only what is said, but what they're trying to say. Yeah. Sometimes we know what someone's trying to say, but we pick on the what they said. Yeah. And in marriage, if you can hear what your spouse is trying to say, not necessarily what they say. <laughs> that doesn't sound good, but it's the truth. <laughs> And Teresa can say, say to me, I can't get any help around here. What, you, this is terrible. I can't stand it. You're just such a nasty somebody. What she's really trying to say is, would you just pick up your socks or maybe help me do a load of laundry? How, how many, so you hear what they're trying to say, not what they're at. And you know it. But you can say, what did you say? No, you said, and we can go right to their specific words instead of, instead of understanding where they're really coming from in their heart. And that's what's important between generations is to hear each other's heart, listen to each other's heart. And, and then also, why should we work so hard to do it? I think we ought to work so hard because there's so much power in agreement. Let me talk about it this way then. Agreement is a journey. Amos 3.3, walk together. Make a decision to walk together. Do two men walk together unless they have agreed to meet, the English Standard Version says. Decide not to walk alone. Determine in your heart, we're going to walk together. I'm not going into this without our kids and our grandchildren being a part of it. I want to continue forward, but I want them to be a part. So what I'm going to do is I've made a decision, I'm not going to walk alone. Ecclesiastes 4 and 9, when you think of it generationally, two are better than one. Two generations is better than one. If we, can, if we can bring that and walk together, and we're deciding to be accountable. What it means is I'm going to be accountable to the younger generation. I'm going to listen to them. They've got something to say. There is a change. Things are different. God's moving in a unique way in, in our generation. And I want to be a part of it. All that's necessary, according to pastor's definition earlier, to be a part of the same generation as our kids and grandkids is to be in agreement concerning our culture. All we've got to do is agree on a few things. We've got to agree on doctrine, agree on where we're at, agree things are changing, agree it's a new day. Begin to just agree on a few things. We've got the same heart. And I think it's important to give the next generation a little credit. They really do have a heart for God. There is a great revival going on with them. And uh, look, I put on a pair of skinny jeans today just to show you. I'm not saying you have to go that far. But I'm just saying, you know what? I I, want to understand. I want to hear their heart. I want to realize where they're at. And man, what that does. I want to be accountable to them. When you can't walk together if you're without accountability. So there's got to be accountability between the generations to each other. And, and you have to hear the heart of your fathers. Yes. You have to hear their heart. Uh, you know, why, why our, our family values, why these things, we agree on these things because of why they matter and what it means and what the script. So you listen. And, and so you value, uh, you remember Philippians 2, verse 3 and 4? The Bible says that we're to value others above ourselves 
as if we're really concerned for them. <laughs> you know, when you're really concerned about somebody, you do value them. And so you value uh, them above yourself. And so make a decision to walk together. That's first. Second, walk with those that are going in the same des- to the same destination. Uh, the New Living Translation says, can two people walk together without agreeing on a destination? <laughs> So we get the word destiny, by the way, from destination. And so we put out our target goal out here, which is heaven, of course. And uh, we want to we go to that destination. That's where we're going. We're headed to the same place. Our destiny is wrapped around fulfilling the call of God in our lives. And so is the next generation. So I've got to set my goals and surround myself with people who are going there. That's what this is about today, this whole weekend. Your pastor has decided and chosen to have a time to just start talking, to start talking to each other, get on the same page, and determine our destination. And let's just start walking toward that destination in agreement. And you don't always know what you're going to encounter on a journey, right? It could be a flat tire, a little trouble, rainy weather, whatever, but you at least know where you're going. And uh, that's, what's, that's what's great. And you agree on that destination. <clears throat> and you can't get there where you're going alone because if you fail or fall, you have no one to help you up. And believe it or not, we need the next generation to help us. Amen. We, need, we need them. And they need us yeah. to help them. It's, it's important. And so uh, uh, seek then and submit to the counsel of people who, of the generation older than you because they've already been where you're going. Uh, I think that's important. And, and uh, so to the younger generation, you seek the counsel of those who've been where you're going. You seek their wisdom. You surround yourself with them. And, uh, and then you start walking together in the right direction. Direction determines destination. If you're going to a certain place and you put it in your GPS, uh, the direction you're going, well, if you're going, if you want to go to Tennessee, you can't, you can't go north, no. because direction determines destination. You've got to turn and go the opposite direction if that's where your destination is. So you've got to understand that it's important then for us to get in the right direction, and direction will reveal eventually, even with elders in the church and the, within the same age group. I found that when we started our church, that Direction would reveal who's, who is walking my way and who's walking away. Um, let me share that with you. I, I like to golf. And you get on the tee, and you're all going to the same destination down there. You see it. It's, there's a green down there with a flag on it. And so you get up there, and everybody hits the ball. And after you hit the ball, I know where I'm going. I know where my destination is. But sometimes just a little different direction. If I don't have the club face completely square, it will just a couple degrees means the further I get out there, it means 100 yards right. How did I get in the woods? I was, I was going to that pin over there. So that's what happens with you can, it can appear like when you first start sometimes a church. We planted our church. And it can appear like for five years, ten years, you're going in the same direction. Just like two golf balls hit from the same place. But after a little while, you realize they're not going my way. They're slowly walking away. 
And so don't get upset if people don't complete the journey with you that started out, you know, or they end up going in. A, they can be really good people. And they were with you for a while. And we found that in our church when we were planning this succession. We realized that some people, they were with us for a while, but as uh, time passed, we realized they just, they were headed actually in a different direction than the church was going. And so we didn't fall out. We just loved on them, and, and we're still in great relationship today, and, uh, uh, and just headed that way. But some of them were actually headed in our direction, didn't know it. They just got in the woods, had hit back out. They got back in line with us a little while later and came back. But it's important that you, you understand that, that principle of walking together. Uh, we're, we all have heaven as our goal. But every church has unique visions. And that's why transition and succession itself is so, uh, so unique to each church. The pastor could be as young as I was uh, when he transitioned, but God wasn't through with me. I had a plan for my life, and, and uh, we've been traveling. We went, he took us back to evangelism and missions. That's what we were doing before we ever started pastoring. Sure. It makes you want to look at God and say, would you just make up your mind? I, I, I started off in evangelism when I was kids, you know. Now this is, why now, you know? <laughs> and so you just say yes. How many of you know you just say yes to what God says? Be in obedience. So you start walking together in the right direction. Everyone isn't going to stay with you, but never discard them. They may just be going in a different direction toward the same appointment, which is the green up there. They just, uh, they'll get there. They're just having a few detours. So it's important for us to never discard people, relationships in our life, love on people. But uh, within the congregation, if you can work with an intergenerationally with the next generation, it's awesome. But when this time comes in every church, in every church when the time comes, it's like when pastor, when you became the pastor, there may have been some people that just couldn't see uh, little Donnie being a pastor, you know. And you probably couldn't see yourself be, being one. And, uh, and so they might drift here or leave or something like that. But there were people that stayed and went with you through that succession and stayed with the church. And what a blessing those kind of people are. My son Robbie took the pastorate. And the, the church went from 1,000 to 1,600 in the past six years. Uh, he just continued to grow it, and the growth at a greater rate than we'd ever had before. And what's exciting is my, the elders that were with me stayed, every single one of them. Every board member, they all stayed. And they watched Robbie grow up as a little boy. I mean, when I first shared with the church that I felt that Robbie was the, to be the next pastor in a 10-year succession plan, uh, one of our elders owns the Space Needle down in uh, Gatlinburg, Tennessee, and uh, he's a man of influence and, and money. He was like, I almost left the church. I thought, what in the world is Pastor thinking? Robbie? Goodness sakes. He was hot-headed and <laughs> athletic, you know, hot-head. And they thought, he'll never be a pastor. And, uh, but lo and behold... Look what God does. And, and so the first thing Rob did was he saw the importance of the, next, of the generation before him. So he said in an elders meeting just before that summer, before the transition, he, had, he could change elders out. He could do what our bylaws allowed him to do that if he wanted to surround himself with uh, guys in his uh, age group or something. So um, 
he met with the elders, and that's what that particular meeting was about. I didn't know what his decisions were going to be. We talked about the elders, the shortcomings, their strengths, and uh, so we come in the meeting, and I opened it up. We had a word of prayer. I sat down. Rob got up, and uh, he shared the story. He read the scripture from uh, Kings concerning Rehoboam and Solomon's son, who wouldn't receive the counsel of his father's uh, counselors. Instead, he replaced them with the next generation, and, uh, to, and it split the country. And he said, uh, I need you to stay on. And then he went one by one around the room, and he just, he just walked up to, I need you to stay because. And he began to tell them why they were valuable and why he needed them. One by one around the room. Well, every one of the elders was in tears by the time he got finished. And Pastor Paul, <laughs> he had their hearts. By the end of that meeting, they weren't going anywhere. And they put their shoulder back to the plow. They started, they started coming to everything. I mean, they had backed out of stuff. I mean, they'd served God so long, they were like, let the young folk. Now, all of a sudden, they got zeal again. I'm like, I couldn't get you to come to that. Why are you now, all of a sudden, you're acting like a kid again. You're back in there, you know. But they've been, I mean, they've been working the parking lot and everything. It's like, they, what in the world? How in the world? And one of the elders that started with us at that time is a physician. He wrote a check back in November for our building program for $150,000. Just dropped it in the offering. <laughs> and so uh, Robbie called me and told me about it. I said, well, see, you did a good thing when you kept the old guys around. <laughs> so agreement is a blessing. Can you say amen to that? It's a blessing. Uh, and... Now let me close with this, 1 Corinthians 12, 26 and 27. As you read that passage, you see that it's better never to really be alone, that God put us together as a body, that every one of us has a function and a role, and we all meet a need within the body. I, I like to look at it this way. The truth is that if you're in agreement, you never suffer alone, and your rejoicing is always multiplied. If you're in agreement, they're with you. One of the best things that had, let me give you four Ps real quick. This is, this is the power and blessing that comes from it. You can write it in your notes. Power, Psalm 133 and 1. Precious is the anointing oil. God commands the blessing on unity of power. Secondly, propagation, Matthew 5, 44 and 45. Our unity testifies they will know that we're His children by our love for one another. Our unity is our voice. It's what gives us our voice. The way we love each other, it gives us a voice to the community. In the same way, if there's division and strife, the community hears about that too. And how many of you know a church split or division tears up the whole community? It does nobody any good. But your unity will testify. It speaks. And thirdly, Peace. The amazing unity of Acts 15, verse 25 and 26, where they came together concerning the Gentiles. It was one of the most powerful chapters I think I've ever read in my life. Acts 15, they came together to receive the Gentiles. Yeah. What a Judaism, what a challenge it was for them to receive these Gentiles into the kingdom. But in the next chapter, in the same chapter, verse 36 through 40, there was followed by tragic strife between Paul and Barnabas. 
you know, unity grows the church. Gentiles, uh, you grow. Kingdom expands. Strive splits close brothers. I'm Paul and Barnabas even. But God brought them together later. But I love the peace that unity brings. Can you say amen? And then posterity. That's where I want to close. That's the next generation. And for that, I'm going to give you three, uh, two examples. Write them down, and I won't go into detail with them. But Saul and David, 1 Samuel 18 and 7, you can read that. And Paul and John Mark in 2 Timothy 4 and 11. Saul and David, what a tragedy it was. David had slain Goliath. Saul grew jealous of the next generation who God was bringing along. And the strife between them, Saul had slain his thousands, they said, David his ten thousands. Well, the truth was the song was inaccurate. David was just starting. He hadn't slayed tens of thousands. <laughs> but uh, uh, so sometimes the accurate, inaccurate reports of the enemy bring division. But these two generations, Saul and David, split up. Can you imagine if you had just combined, if the song was true, the Saul who had slain thousands with David, who would eventually slay tens of thousands? What if they had worked together? What if they had found a place of unity, but instead Saul chased David through the wilderness for years? The tragedy of the, of the strife of that, when the generation... Let me put it this way. One of the greatest failures of agreement often takes place between generations. One of the greatest failures of, of agreement takes place between generations. Churches all over this country, field, good youth movements, great things going on, and suddenly strife between the generations, inflexibility, and wouldn't work together, and the youth end up somewhere else with some body that started a church down the road and, and then you have an elderly generation where the church is growing older and dying that's not the plan of God the plan of God is that we work together as generations Amen. and that we walk hand in hand into what God promises us that's the plan of God we don't want a Saul and David type experience or even a Paul and John Mark you know Paul and Barnabas fell out over John Mark Barnabas nephew and so Paul says, send him home. He's a quitter. Barnabas says, no, give him another chance. No, send him home. He's just a baby. Next generation, send him home. So Paul goes on. Barnabas goes his way. Years later, like happens to all of us as we get a little older, a little grace gets in our heart. How many you know you live enough life, <laughs> you'll, you'll start trying to forgive some folks. Next thing you know, next thing you know, sure enough, uh, they reconcile. And Paul says, bring John Mark to me. He's profitable to me for ministry. Yeah. I mean, he found out later in years, but they were good together. They would have been great together. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's sad to miss out on what they could have been together. But So one of the greatest phases of agreement takes place often between generations. Because we miss the blessing of multiplication that comes with agreement when we fail to walk together with the next generation. Saul's thousands, David's tens of thousands. Too often we try to fight the, the enemy, our common enemy, the devil. Sin. We try to fight it separately. 
One generation fighting their way, next generation fighting their way. And we lose not just the battle, but we lose brothers and sisters and fathers and sons in the process. Walking together is profitable to every generation. Paul discovered that John Mark could be profitable for the ministry. Let me just say it this way. Make it work. Just make it work. Whatever you got to do, make it work between generations. Because walking in generation will lead you to a more fruitful destination. And we'll, we'll close with that. Joshua and Caleb. They're an older generation. I've heard people preach messages, even seen books called the Joshua generation. But can I tell you that Joshua's generation didn't go in. The generation he went in with was not his generation. That's right. Him and Caleb were the only two left from their generation. Their generation died in the wilderness. They went in with the kids. That's right. <laughs> Isn't that something? I want to be that guy. Amen. You know, Caleb, when they went to take the mountain, he said, I'm 80 years old, but 40 years ago I said we could take this mountain, and nobody believed it. So he said, give me the mountain. And Joshua said, I was there, I remember it, you take the mountain. Well, they, I can imagine that morning when Caleb got up, grabbed his sword, headed out of his tent, and all the young people, his kids and grandkids are looking, says, there goes Papa. Well, I guess we better go with him. So they all grabbing there, and up the mountain they went, and God gave them the mountain. Hebron was at the top. That's where the grapes of Eshcol that's where those big grapes, size of basketballs you hear about and stuff like that. I mean, that was a fruitful place. And when you work together between generations, it's a real fruitful destination. My son and I still work together. I'm so grateful for the privilege of, of that. Uh, I don't believe that it has to be your natural son, but I do believe that uh, they have to be a son in the faith and a son in heart to have a passion and care about you uh, enough to work together very often. And so it's important to have someone that, that's God-honoring toward the next generation that steps in to that role. So Rob and I have, it's been a blessed relationship. Uh, I could talk all afternoon about that. But uh, I'm just grateful for what God's doing and the way we're still plugged in and a part of the church. Well, Pastor, thank you for this time. Can we give the Lord a praise offering? <laughs>